0: Well, good morning. It's good to see y'all today. Uh, It's hard to believe that it's March, that it's been a year since all of this started. Uh, I just cannot get my head around the fact that it's been a year since COVID became part of our lives. So many uh, words that are part of our vocabulary now that we never thought we would ever use probably in our lifetime Um, So just reflecting on that, been thinking about the year, Um, there's been some great things that God has done in the midst of the last year, even as hard as it's been, Um, but it has been hard. Uh, It's been a season of isolation and alienation. Many of you are still worshiping with us online, and I know um, that is not where you want to be. You want to be here with us. Um, Some of us have been able to gather here in person, and that is such a gift, But it has been a season that's been marked uh, by being apart in so many ways. Um, And in the midst of that pain has also come a a double pain, uh, I think, uh, of the divisiveness of this season. So there's been the alienation and the separation, but there's also been a real sense of divisiveness, whether it's been around things related to COVID itself or race or politics or sexuality. Um, It's just been a time where even in the church, There's been a spirit of division at work, and in some sense, that's always been the case, right, in the world. That's always been the case in the church, but it's been um, particularly and especially true uh, in God's church uh, in this season, and so that grieves us um, that our country is so divided, that our churches are divided, that our families, uh, many of us, have experienced division even there, Um, But again, that's nothing new. I think it's important to keep that perspective, that this is nothing new in the history of the world. Uh, One commentator on Ephesians chapter 2, which we're going to look at in just a minute, he he said this. He said, History tells the story of the relentless uh, cycle of political strife and military conflict and hatred between nations and ethnicities and religious groups. There have always, he writes, always been communities marked by suspicion and segregation, broken homes, and broken relationships. And so uh, as we come to Ephesians chapter two this morning, and in light of where we are culturally, where we are personally, um, I want us to, to ask this question together. Are, are we destined for division or is there something greater? Because I think we can, we can settle into a mentality that thinks we are actually destined for this divisiveness. This is just how things are. And so it begs the question, is that what we're destined for? Are we destined for division? Can humans actually live in real peace with each other? Not some vague idea of unity uh, or unity for unity's sake, but real, true, heart-level, honest unity with one another. Is that possible? The claim of the gospel is yes. The claim of Ephesians chapter 2 is yes. And so I want us to look at that today and be encouraged. I want us to look at chapter 2. So if you want to grab your Bible or open up an app on your Bible to chapter 2 of Ephesians, those words that we just heard read from chapter 2, verse 11 through 22, we're going to look at that together this morning as we ask that question. Are we destined for division? just as you're opening up your Bible to chapter 2, so far in our Ephesians study, I just want to sum up kind of where we've been. And in particular, the reason I'm doing this every week where I kind of recap where we've been is because when you read Paul's letters, it's really helpful uh, to realize that he's building an argument. So what he said before is connected to what he says next. So he builds like building blocks as he goes. And so what we have here, we want to understand in the context of the letter as a whole. And so first, in chapter one, we learned uh, where Paul kind of points to our true identity, that we know who we are and we can know who we are because we are who God says we are. And who does he say we are? We're chosen, adopted, redeemed, and sealed by his spirit. But then we found a problem. In chapter two, we discover there's a problem. We didn't know who we were because we didn't know who he was ultimately. And so in his great love for us, he's revealed himself to us and he's also rescued us in Christ from ourselves and from sin and from darkness. And so by his grace, we have been saved from sin and death and the powers that enslave us. That's what we looked at last week. So Paul um, picks up that theme here again in chapter two. In the first part of chapter two, he's really talking about our alienation from God. He comes back to this in Ephesians chapter four, verse 10. Our problem was that we are alienated from the life of God is what he writes. But the good news, again, is that in Christ, in Christ, we have been reconciled to him. And so our vertical problem was that we, we uh, had been alienated from God, and he reconciles us in that vertical sense. But now Paul wants to turn his attention to the horizontal aspect of our alienation. Not only are we alienated from God, we're alienated from one another. And he wants to talk about how we're reconciled to one another. So in Ephesians chapter 2, he's talking about this horrible horizontal problem in verses 11 through 22. He tells us that we are alienated from one another. Estranged, he says. Alienated. We're cut off from each other. Now, it's important to realize we're not created that way. We're not created to be alienated. It's one of the things that's made this experience over the last year so harsh and so inhumane. We're not created to be cut off from one another. Genesis tells the story of human beings created to be in relationship with God and in relationship with one another and explains the origins of our alienation from God and one another in the story of the fall. The bottom line being all humans, all human beings have chosen themselves over God and over one another. That's what the Bible tells us. And so God was not content with that. He loved us too much to leave us in that. So he set about to reconcile the world to himself. And his plan was that he would use a people. He chose Israel, his people, to be set apart for him. And he didn't do that to divide more. He actually did that in the spirit of inviting the nations to himself through a people that he had set apart for himself. Isaiah 42, verse 6 and 7, says this incredible truth. That he set apart Israel to be a covenant people and a light for the Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jewish people. And he set them apart to be this light for the Gentiles. It goes on to say, to open the eyes right of the blind to free captives from their prison. That's the Gentiles. And to release them from the dungeon in which they sit. The dungeon, he says, of those who sit in darkness. So that's the promise. That's what God was doing in and through the people of Israel. The challenge that emerges in the Old Testament story is that Israel forgets this calling. And in fact, Israel forgets this calling and it begins to get twisted. And one of the ways it twists itself, gets manipulated, is through pride. And so Israel and pride turns that favor of God into favoritism. And this prejudice against the nations. And so by the time of Jesus, what's happened is the Jewish people are regarding Gentiles not as captives to be rescued. They're not thinking of the Gentiles as those who are blind and need to receive sight, as Isaiah says. They actually, and this is documented, they thought of Gentiles as dogs to be despised. And so you can see the heart change that's happened from what God intended to what's actually taken place. And so just to illustrate this, if a a young Jewish man married... Uh, a Gentile woman, basically what the family did is they held a Jewish funeral for that boy because he was deemed dead. He was cut off, right? He was separated from God's people because he had joined himself to a Gentile. Uh, The famous um, uh, ancient historian, Jewish historian Josephus, he talks about how this impacted worship. Uh, he says at the temple, what you had was all these courts that were erected to separate people. And the furthest out court was the court of the Gentiles. And that court separated from the temple by a wall. And that wall, Josephus says, uh, encompassed, was encompassing this stone wall. It had this inscription that was scattered on it at different points in Latin and in Greek. And what it said basically was, no foreigner is allowed to enter beyond this place except under the penalty of death. And so, again, you see how this is developing, how this is going in the wrong direction, despite what God intended. And you see it even in the life of Jesus himself. Jesus was challenged, arrested, and executed in part because of the Jewish authorities' anger over his teachings about Gentiles, the people of God, and the promises of God. And so, when Paul talks about the wall of hostility, he's talking about this animosity between Jews and Gentiles. He's talking about the physical wall, but also this spirit of hostility, and that hostility went both ways. It wasn't just the Jews to the Gentiles. Gentiles despised Jews. For centuries, neighboring people groups sought to wipe out Israel, and that continues to this day, that animosity. To the Greeks, who saw themselves as educated and sophisticated, all other people, including the Jews, were barbarians. The Romans brutally oppressed the Jews. And so in history, what we have is this, This picture of this hostility that Paul is wanting to to bring before us. Humans have erected walls of hostility over and over and over based on all kinds of things. And so not only are we alienated from God, we're alienated from one another. So how can we possibly, in a world like that, how can we possibly be reconciled Jew to Gentile one to another? Paul Paul says it is possible, and he says it's possible through the gospel. Uh, He says to begin with in verse 11, he says, Therefore, remember, right, that at one time, you Gentiles, so he's talking to those non Jewish readers, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, we might be tempted to start to tune out (laughs) a little bit as we read that beginning of Paul's argument because we hear words like circumcision and we hear words like Gentiles and we hear words like commonwealth of Israel. What does any of this have to do with us today. And I just want to encourage you, it has everything to do with us today. So I just want to invite you, stick with me. I'm going to try to unpack this a little bit. It's dense, but I think it'll help us get to where the Lord wants to take us this morning, okay? Is that fair? Okay, all right, so stick with me. So let's just start with the circumcision. What is he talking about? The circumcision is are the Jewish people, right? So the circumcision was the outward physical sign of a spiritual reality. It was a sign given by God to help Israel remember that He had cut them free from sin right, and He had marked them apart as His chosen people, called to live as a light to the nations. So it was this, again, physical sign of that great spiritual covenant reality. Gentiles are the uncircumcision, not God's people. And so Paul here says what that means. What that means is if you're the uncircumcision, you are, verse 12, separated, excluded. You're foreigners to God's promises. You're without hope. You're without God in the world. But, but they're still part of God's plan, right? Again, remembering that God's intent is to bring the Gentiles in. The Jews were to be a light to the nations and to bring them into life with God through the testimony of the life of Israel. Now, unfortunately, what Paul is having to deal with here is that circumcision had become a source of pride for the Jews and less about their heart and God's mission to reach the nations and instead had become primarily a physical act of separation. They kept the physical act, in other words, but lost the spiritual point. That's why Paul calls it a sign done by human hands, and in the flesh, it's a physical thing primarily now, not the spiritual thing it was meant to be. Okay, so that's, that's what he's talking about in, in that section. So one reason this matters for us, one reason this matters to me and to you is because in the world as we know it today, uh, this world that we know today would not exist, would not exist if it were not for Jesus because... There's a couple of exceptions I know of in our community, but because, by and large, we are Gentiles. We are a community of Gentiles. We were not a part of the covenant people of Israel. And so this matters because the truth is, if there had not been Jesus, few of us would know God at all. Few of us would know who God was, and as Gentiles, we would not be, as Paul points out, part of God's people. We'd be ignorant of his word. We'd be separated. We'd be cut off, far off from God. And so it matters hugely because we have to remember, apart from Jesus, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. That's the first part of chapter 2. But now Paul goes on to say, you were also apart from Israel. You were apart from Israel. You were cut off from God's promises and God's people. In other words, double bad news for us as Gentiles. Dead in our sins and trespasses apart from Israel. But the good news, this is where the good news comes. There is good news. Verse 13, but now, right? But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace. The good news is God dealt with both of those problems in Jesus, We are drawn near to God and we're drawn near to one another. We're reconciled vertically and we're reconciled horizontally. We are all now God's people in Christ. And so in Jesus, the barriers that have kept us apart are torn down. Now, namely, Paul is addressing a specific barrier in verse 15. He says, it's the law and the commandments of God. He said that these things were meant to be a gift, like circumcision, they were meant to be a gift and yet they become something that is a barrier of exclusion and an instrument of oppression for God's people. And so Jesus comes and he fulfills the law, but he also, he abolishes the law. He, he tears down that barrier by fulfilling the law perfectly and by dying on the cross in our place as law breakers. This is what he says in verse 15. Let me just read the whole thing. Paul says, in Jesus God created in himself one new man or one new humanity in place of the two. No longer Jew and Gentile, so making peace. He's reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. Through Jesus, we have all have access in the spirit to the Father. Through Jesus, we are fellow citizens, he says, with the saints and the members of the household of God, verse 22, a dwelling place. We are a dwelling place for God by the spirit. We are reconciled to one another in Christ, and it's not the law that does it. It's not circumcision that does it. It's not being Jewish that saves us. All people are now saved on the same basis by grace through faith in Jesus. All right. You guys still with me? Good? Yeah, I know I told you it was dense. It's a lot in there, but I think we we wanna hear the good news in there, right? The good news about how the gospel in Christ actually removes divisions and makes true unity possible. So the question is, how? How does what God's done in Jesus there, what we just talked about, how does the gospel lead to true unity? I just want to point out two ways that I think it helps us to do that. The first way is this. It calls us to stop making differences into barriers. It calls us to stop making differences into barriers. The Jewish people made the sign of circumcision, which was a gift, again, given by God as a humble reminder of his grace. They had turned it into a source of pride. They had exaggerated it, and they had made it into a point of division between them and Gentiles. And so they exaggerated a difference, in other words, and they made it into a barrier. There was a difference. The difference was God-ordained, but they took that difference, and they turned it into a barrier, a wall, I think that's really helpful because differences exist in our world, just like they did in the ancient world. Differences exist in the church, differences exist in our church, and that's a gift. It's a gift. We have folks who are wealthy and folks who are not. We have people who are black, brown, and white. We have people who are red and blue in the way they vote. We have people who are old, who are young, who are educated, uneducated. We have real differences, real differences. We shouldn't pretend like it's all the same. It's not all the same. They're real differences. But what brings us together is the gospel, namely the person of Jesus and what he's done because he's reconciled us. By his blood. So I'm super grateful that in our little church we have that kind of diversity. And we want more diversity because we want more people coming into the family of God people of different ages and incomes and backgrounds and increased uh, numbers of people with color, it's different skin color. We want all of that, not for its own sake, right? But because that's what the body of Christ should look like, should feel like, should be like, because all those barriers have been brought down in the person of Jesus. And so I was thinking about uh, Derek. I don't think Derek's here today. Derek Smith and I, I've gotten to be good friends over the last year. It's one of the gifts uh, of COVID in my life. And Derek, if you've seen Derek, he's been black his whole life. He's black. And I've been sunburned since I was four. I just, I'm, as, I'm as non-black as you can get, right? I mean, there are clear differences when Derek and I stand next to each other. But they don't need to be barriers in Christ. They shouldn't be barriers in Christ. And so Paul says, remember that you're all saved. You're all saved by grace through one Jesus. You all worship one Father. You all worship in one Spirit. Praise God. Those barriers come down. And so we have real differences, real and significant as they may be. They pale. They absolutely should pale in comparison to what we have in common in Jesus It is the gospel alone that actually produces true unity because of Jesus. And so I just want to say it's, it's that unity that we're talking about when we talk about unity. It's the unity in Jesus, not unity for unity's sake. That's very common these days. Now with that, I want to talk just a minute about some experience. Because I know there are times when you have to, separate. There are times when you have to leave. Some of you have walked that painful path. You've had to leave a church that you loved. You've had to leave a church and a people that you love. You walked that painful path. But if the gospel is being preached and practiced, or if, as Paul says here in Ephesians 2, if it's being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone, if that's the case, then we should set aside our differences and maintain unity in Jesus. At some point, we have to let go of our differences of opinion and our different priorities and our different thoughts about worship style or points of doctrine in which there's disagreement among faithful followers of Jesus and not let the differences between us actually become barriers between us. Don't let them become barriers between us In a world of division, the beauty of the church is that we offer a picture of true unity, that we really love each other. We don't just put up with each other. We actually love each other in the unity of Christ. So how does the gospel lead to true unity? I think one way, it helps us to stop making differences into barriers. Second is, I think it reveals the true cause of division and offers the only solution. If you misdiagnose the problem, you medicate the symptoms at the cost of the disease. So you have to diagnose the problem correctly. We have to face the true cause of division in the church and our families and society, and ultimately that cause is sin. The cause of division in our society is sin. But more specifically, Paul wants to get more specific. Paul more specifically points to the sin of pride here. It's the sin of our pride. Paul says Israel's pride kept them from seeing Christ. Israel's pride kept them from seeing Gentiles as God did. And the same can happen to us. Our pride can keep us from seeing clearly and thinking clearly, and we can become prejudiced. So a few examples. Pride, this is the way pride operates like in our hearts and our minds. I was just thinking about, okay, how, how, do, I, how do I struggle with this personally? Pride, this is what it feels like in my own life. Pride assumes I'm right and you're wrong. The key word being there, assumes. <laughs> assumes I'm right and you're wrong. Pride says if I had been in charge, things would have probably gone better, right? Pride says if you had only read the article that I read, if you'd only watched the video, you too would be enlightened and be able to make the wise choice, <laughs> Right? Anybody shared any videos this week? Okay, I have, I'm just admitting it. Pride says, if only you have thought and prayed about this as much as I had, right? And so in our pride, what happens is it becomes harder and harder for us to imagine the other side, to hear others and understand their perspective, let alone consider it objectively. We just tend to dismiss it. We can't empathize. We can't put ourselves in one another's shoes. And so our our pride begins to blind us to the truth that whatever we may actually be and whatever we actually have, it's not because of us. It's because of what God has given us. And so whatever you have, you have by the grace of God. And this is not of yourselves so that none of us can boast. Our problem is pride. Pride. And so division's running rampant in our society, and it's because pride is running rampant in our culture. And as important as things like education are, they won't solve that problem. Neither will government or laws or science or social justice movements, neither will calling people to try harder to follow the teachings of Jesus, to try to be better people in the world. You can't legislate pride away. You can't shame it away. You can't guilt it away. None of those things will work when it comes to our problem of pride because ultimately this is a heart problem. It's a heart problem, which means only Jesus can solve it. Only Jesus can cure it. He alone actually has the power to help us face ourselves as we truly are to deal with our pride. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, It's a little bit long, but I want to quote this because I think it's really powerful. He he says this. He says, There will never be, never be unity among men until they see the truth about themselves, that we are all the same, that we all fall short, that we all deserve judgment, and that the things we have exaggerated are trivialities, that there is none righteous, no, not one, until, until we are humbled before a holy God, until we are brought low where we see all that we need the same grace, the same mercy, the same love. Our unity comes when we receive all that he gives us in Christ and we share it together as we worship the same God and rejoice in the same salvation. In Christ, our loyalty is no longer to ourselves but to him, to him and him alone. No longer proud or jealous or envious, we go together. We join in singing his praise together. That is the unity of God. It's the putting on of the spirit of Christ. It's the putting of the spirit of Christ into us. There is only one hope, that we will be born again into the new life of God. Man, I wish I could have heard them preach that. <laughs> Amen, right? Paul says, remember, just remember all that. <laughs> Remember what God's done for you. Remember who you are. Remember his gospel. Be humbled before Christ. That's the only way to true unity. It's the only way to deal with our pride. So just two ways, I think, that maybe we can think about this. Trying to stop making our differences into barriers and really think about the true cause of division in our culture and even in our lives to reflect on that. Um, Just in closing, I just want to, ask you to maybe take some time this week and just consider any barriers that may be going on in your own life. Are there any barriers in my life? That's the question. Uh, This is an amazing moment for the church. It's a cultural moment of deep division and hostility, and in that moment, we have the opportunity to humble ourselves and to live in the unity of Jesus together. What a powerful and beautiful picture of Jesus. Jesus to those around us. But the question is, where do we start? And so I just think we should start with us, with ourselves. Maybe there's places of division in your life or in your relationships. Maybe you've allowed a difference to become a barrier. Maybe you've allowed your pride to close you off to someone or something in your life. Maybe it's closed you off from God's grace itself. Paul says there's hope that we who were once separated, alienated, far off, we've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. To use a theological term, you have been justified, put right with God through the death of Jesus on the cross. But rooting out our pride takes time. It takes uh, sanctification, that process of slowly becoming more and more like Jesus. And the good news is the blood of Jesus does both. 1 John 1.7 says this, if we walk in the light as he is in the light We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It cleanses us, and it keeps on cleansing us. We have been forgiven, and we are continually forgiven. It justifies, and it sanctifies. And so that's what humbles us and frees us from division, frees us to forgive as we've been forgiven. We can let go of our pride and our grudges and our resentments and our pain. We can give those over to Jesus. So to close, I want to share something from an interview with uh, Corrie ten Boom. Some of you know uh, her story. If you don't, she was a Dutch Christian who helped Jews uh, escape from the Nazis during uh, the war. She hid Jews in her home. She and her father and her sister were eventually caught. Uh, They were betrayed. They were put into um, Ravensbrück concentration camp where her father and her sister died. And after the war, um, she would travel all over the world, and she would just tell God's story, just what he had done, even in the midst of all that pain and hardship. And she was at a church sharing, uh, and just sharing the gospel, and uh, a man started making his way up to her after she had given the talk, and she recognized him immediately. He was a guard from the concentration camp where she she had been. And he got uh, up to her, and as he was, Coming up to her, she said, all these things just came back to her, how cruel he had been. He, he, she said, I remember he'd forced me to march naked in front of him. She said, I just felt this coldness come over me and this anger come over me. And so he got to her and he said, um, he said, I want you to know I've become a Christian. And I know that I've received God's forgiveness for the cruelties that I've done. And one of the things I've asked God is to show me the grace to give me an opportunity to ask one of my victims in person for forgiveness. And so he, he said to her, he said, Fräulein Timboom, once you were forgiven, will you forgive me? And this is what she says. <clears throat> she says, and I, I couldn't do it. I remember the suffering of my dying sister through him I was not able. I I could not forgive. I could only hate him. And then I remember, Jesus, that that you had saved me, that you had brought into my heart through the Holy Spirit, all that you had given me. Thank you that your love is stronger than my hate and my unforgiveness. And she said at that same moment, she was free and could actually say to him, Brother, give me your hand. And she shook hands with him. And it was as if she felt God's love stream through their arms. She said, You'll never touch so deeply the ocean of God's love as when you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No, and I can't either, but he can. What ends the division between us? What put an end to the hostility, the wall of hostility between us? What brings true unity? It is only, only hearts changed by God through Christ let's pray